We hear their call and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Join me in Jude, if you are not there already. Jude, 17 to 23. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening we do rejoice, for Christ has conquered. We do not gather to worship this evening as a defeated people, but as a people with a conquering Lord, as a people with hope, as a people with a message to take to the world. This world is not our home. You're just passing through. And Heavenly Father, I pray that we would be a people, a faithful people who live with that eternal perspective. Keeping our eyes on the coming of Jesus Christ. On the hope of eternity. And in light of that, our call in the present. I pray that we would be a people grounded in the word. Even this evening as we turn our attention to the word of God. We pray that your spirit would take your word and that you would do a mighty work in us. Even this evening, Heavenly Father, wake us from our slumber. Challenge us. Open our eyes to the urgency of our call. To the greatness of the gospel. And the importance that we, your church, proclaim it. Work in us this evening, Heavenly Father, for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This evening we're returning to the book of Jude. It's been a while since we've been here. It's a short book, and yet it's an important book. It's a book that I believe is, is very pertinent to where we find ourselves in time. Even currently, the circumstances in which we are surrounded. So we come to Jude 17. The first 16 verses of the book of Jude are, are really pretty negative. In these first 16 verses, Jude is, is, is really attacking these false teachers. He is calling them out. He is not holding anything back. It's almost shocking, some of the language that he uses. And yet it's necessary. It's necessary. I remember as a young man, in fact, many of you probably remember as well on TV on September 11, 2001, as those towers were struck. The Pentagon and, and watching everything that was going on and then the, the days and the weeks to follow as it was clear that we were heading to war. There was an enemy. In times of war, there's an urgency, there is a, just a, a gravity to the situation, to the days, to the time as it passes. 
There's an awareness that, that this matters. Something big is happening. Brothers and sisters, the church is at war. And yet we so often go through life in such a sleepy state. As if it's okay to just show up here and there and, and do this and do that. It's just it's something that we, we tack on to our calendars at the end of the week. Oh yes, i got to go to church. Your identity in Christ, brothers and sisters, is not just part of who you are. It is everything. And you are at war. And Jude understands that. And that's why the book of Jude starts so heavy, so negative as he is attacking these these false teachers, this false gospel that they are teaching. Because it is imperative that his readers understand this, that they grasp the gravity of the situation. As you head towards the end of the book of Jude, as you come to verses 17 to 23, the question is, so what? You see, Jude Jude is not writing to these false teachers that he's addressing. He's writing to believers. There's a purpose why he's writing to believers. What should we as believers do as a church that is at war? How do we live? How do we exist in in a world with so much false teaching? It's a call to persevere. Really, you could break it into three parts, and we will as we work our way through this passage this evening. Verses 17 to 19, it's a call to be steadfast. Then in verses 20 to 21, a call to be faithful. And finally, verses 22 to 23, a call to be passionate. Be steadfast, be faithful, and be passionate. First thing we see is this call to be steadfast in verses 17 to 19. But you. He's turning his attention. He's he's been railing against these false teachers. He's been confronting them, putting out all of their, their sins out in the open. This is who they are. Now he turns his attention to the believers, those to whom he's writing, but you. You, beloved, remember. Remember the words which are spoken before by the apostles of our Lord, Jesus Christ. Remember. You've been warned. This this should not catch you by surprise. You've been warned. uh, The the apostles of Jesus Christ, as they were founding this church, as they are laboring away, they warned you that this would come. They warned you of these false teachers. In fact, specifically, verse 18, this is what they told you, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own godly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. They warned you that this was coming. 
That, that phrase there, last time, is not looking forward to the end times, as we would often say. But it's the time in which we are now living. It's the time after the, the death, resurrection, and uh, ascension of Jesus Christ through his coming. When his coming is imminent. These are the last times. And so these, writer, the, these people to whom Jude is writing are so, as much in the last time as we are. And in this time, remember, remember, remember what you have been told. The point of remembering is not just to think back and then go on as if nothing has ever happened. It's not just to, to oh yeah, that happened, and then forget it again. The point of remembering is to remember and then live in light of that. Live with that in mind, always remembering that. Recognize this falsehood that has crept in. And in order to recognize it, you must remember, you must know the truth to recognize falsehood. Remember what they have said. Remember what they have warned you about. These false teachers, they, they've not crept in. They've not caught God by surprise. He knew. And he warned you. And he is at work and he is doing something. So don't become discouraged that they're here. But be encouraged that God saw this, that he knew, that, that he warned you, he's equipped you. Remember. false teachers are those who walk according to their own godly lusts. This has been very clearly defined in the first 16 verses. These are sensual persons who cause divisions. They cause divisions. Causing divisions is one of those things that Proverbs 6 tells us that God hates In Romans 16, Paul warns against those who cause divisions, guard against them. These are those men. Unless you think that, that, that they have come to some higher level of understanding, that they are just more godly than you, know this, that they do not have the Spirit. They are not gods. They have no faith and they have no place in your assembly. They have no place among you. Remember. Be steadfast in the truth. Don't give them any leeway. See, the problem here is not that the truth is so fragile that it could just shatter. The truth is the truth, and it will always be the truth. The problem is not that the truth is fragile. The problem 
is the consequence of these lies, of this false teaching. The consequence, as we will see, even as we work our way through this passage, is hell itself. That is what is at stake. That some would be led astray. So you, be steadfast in the truth. Remember what has been said. Remember these warnings that you've been given. Secondly, be faithful, verses 20 to 21. Be faithful. So then, so then what should we do? We remember, we live in light of that as we remember, but, but what do we do? Well, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on the most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's really four things here. Number one, build yourselves up in the most holy faith. Build yourself in the faith. Another way to say that would be grow in Christ. Grow in faith. You do this. You grow. And yet, as you're growing, this is done in the context of community. You do it, and then you do it in community. Grow together, all of you. You're responsible for yourself, and you're responsible for one another. It's that language there, building yourselves up. All of you working together, building yourselves up. How is this done? How do we build ourselves up in the most holy faith? It's a well-known passage that answers that question, 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. It's done through the word of God. All scripture is breathed out by God, and all scripture is therefore what? It is profitable. What is it profitable for? All scripture is profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How do I build myself up? Through the word of God that has been given that you might be complete. It is powerful and it is active. And it is always at work and it never returns void. Sounds like a, a Sunday school answer. How do I grow? You read your Bible. But do you know why it's a Sunday school answer? Because it's the truth. Because that is the truth. Just because it's been repeated time and time and time and time and time and time again does not mean it's any less true. If you want to grow, you have to be in the word of God. You have to be under the preaching of the word of God. That is how God works. 
building yourselves up on your most holy faith. Secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. In fact, notice from this point here that you have the Trinity in this passage. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing we see here is prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit. You might say, now what is, what is praying in the Holy Spirit? Is this some charismatic thing? Is this talk, speaking in tongues? That is not the idea. Really, it's just general prayer. It is simply pray. In fact, Douglas Moo says this. He says, all praying that is worthy of the name will be praying in the Spirit. It'll be stimulated by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, and infused by the Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit is prayer. Again, with these same answers that we often throw out there. Read your Bible and pray, because that is how you grow. That is how God works. Because the Bible is active, and it is the Word of God, and because prayer works. Just talked about that Wednesday. Brothers and sisters, we must be praying. We must be praying, praying in the Holy Spirit. Second, third, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How do you do that? Well, through reading, through praying, and then applying what you read through obedience. What does it mean, keep yourselves in the love of God? The idea here is not that you can somehow lose your salvation or fall out from under the love of God. But it's the idea of do all that you can to have nothing come between you and God. I think a good illustration is the love between parents and their kids. We love our kids. And they are our kids. And there is nothing that they can do that can make them not our kids. And yet, there are things that they can do. Their actions can strain our relationship. It's not that I no longer love them. It's not that, that they get to a certain point and they're just, you're not my kid anymore. But they can strain that relationship through rebellion, through not listening, through different things that they can do. Brothers and sisters, we must not strain our relationship with God. It's not that he will stop loving us. But we must be faithful. We must not put ourselves in that position. We must strive to obey him, to submit to him. And then finally, fourth, looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. This is an expectant, a, a readiness, a longing for Jesus to come back.
We must be faithful in the present, and as we are faithful with the present, we have our eyes on the future. We live with this eternal perspective, this longing. Typically, the the phrase he has his head in the clouds is uh, not a good thing. But in a sense, that's what we as Christians must be. We must have our head in the clouds, looking up, ready for Christ to come. Living with that perspective, looking always to the future and longing for that. And yet being faithful in the present. And what God has called us to. Be faithful. Verses 22 to 23, we then see a call to be passionate. There's really a progression here, an important progression. The first couple of verses, verses 17 and 19, remember. Remember and live in light of that remembrance. And then in 20 to 21, be faithful. Be faithful. Address yourself. And after properly addressing yourself, then you are able to address others. Back to the illustration of, of war, the fact that we are in a time of war. Think of a soldier. A soldier who maybe comes under attack. And he is so eager to get to the battlefield, it, it is so urgent that he runs out. Without his helmet without putting on his vest, without grabbing his weapon. And he runs out to the field of battle, and he is all ready to jump in. He is all ready. He has an urgency, a, a passion, a readiness to engage the enemy, and yet he gets there ill-equipped. To be ill-equipped is to be ineffective. And so there's an important progression to this. Before we address others, we must address ourselves. If you are not growing in the Lord, if you do not know your Bible, if you are not praying, if you are not keeping yourself in the love of God and looking to the future, then you have no place. No place to focus on someone else. Get the beam out of your own eye. We must equip ourselves. We must be ready so that we can get to verses 22 and 23, so that we can be passionate. This is where the attention turns to others. There's several different Depending on the translation you have, verses 22 and 23 might sound different. I'm actually going to use the ESV. I've been mostly using the New King James, but on verses 22 and 23, we're gonna, I'm going to use the ESV. I think it is the best translation, the best use. Seeing this group in 22 and 23, seeing three groups rather than just two. It says this, having mercy on those who doubt. 
save others by snatching them out of the fire, and to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. There's three groups. Three groups here. And how do we address them? Again, this is in light of these false teachers that have come in. There are those who, who doubt, those who have heard these false teachers and are maybe kind of interested, but they haven't really gone very far down the road. And there are those who are very much tempted by these false teachers who have taken several steps down that road. And then the third group is these false teachers themselves and those whom they have fully convinced who are following them. So how do you, as a church, as a believer, how do you address those who are enticed or tempted or drawn away by false teaching? First, those who doubt. Have mercy on those who doubt. Show them mercy. It's not that you ignore them, but you also don't condemn them. You are patient and loving with them. You are constantly pointing them back to the word of God, trusting the word of God to do the work. I think that's often where we fail. We, we drive people away because we, we are so convinced that, that I have to be the one to convince them. I have to be the one to turn them. Trust the word of God to work. Point them to the word and trust that that word will do the work. It will not return void. And so how do we address those who doubt? You show them mercy. You care for them. You take them to the word and you let the word work. Trusting that God and that word will accomplish its purpose. Have compassion on them. Show them mercy. Secondly, what about those who have taken several steps down the road? There's a necessary urgency here. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. What a powerful picture of what is at stake. Snatch them out of the fire. Fight for them. Pull them back. These are brothers and sisters who are those who, who claim to be believers, whose life seems that they are believers, and yet they are taking several steps down this, and it seems that they are on the very edge of abandoning the faith, calling into question their confession. You don't ignore them. You don't let them go. You fight for them. You pull them back from the fire. You plead with them. Again, trusting the word to do its work. And yet, there, there is more urgency here than there is in that first group. Then there's this last group. Those who are thoroughly polluted with this apostate teaching. 
To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Show mercy with fear. You preach the gospel, and yet there's a fear there. There's an awareness of the danger of that false teaching. So you do it, but you do it very carefully. You do it with with a distance. Really, what you see here is what we see in Matthew 18, the idea of church discipline. These are those who are treated as unbelievers. They are no longer a part of the church. Our approach to them is not as brothers in Christ, but as those who are unsaved, as those who are preaching a dangerous message. And so we approach them with with mercy. It's not ours to condemn them. We we preach the gospel to them. We we want them to turn to Christ. And yet, even as we approach them with mercy, we also approach them with fear. Being mindful of their unbelief. The language here is, is really very picturesque, if that's the word you want to do that. The garment stained by the flesh. The idea is literally of soiled garments. Someone who has, if you will, messed their pants. I mean, just think of the illustration of uh, what does it look like to do this? Well, think of even changing a diaper. I've changed many diapers the last several years. It's disgusting. And there's a, there's a very... You're very careful about what you're doing. You're very careful about where you put your hand. Right? You're mindful. There's, there's a fear there. That, that's literally the idea here. It's as if they have soiled garments. That's how you treat them. There's a, there's a distance that you hold them at. And you don't ignore it. You preach the gospel to them. You love them. You show them mercy, and yet you treat them with fear. There's an urgency in this passage. Because Jude understands what is at stake. And Jude understands the reality that the church is at war. And that the gospel is precious. And it is worthy of being guarded. And it is worthy of being proclaimed. So what is this? I mean, for us, what kind of application is there from this? There's a lot of application here. Number one, be aware of this. Remember the warning the scripture tells us. There will be false teachers. There will be those who would threaten to lead you astray. So, guard your doctrine. Be mindful of that. And grow yourself in Christ. You study and dive into the Word of God. That is your life source as a believer. That is everything. It is through that that God is at work in you. Read the Word of God. Pray. Keep yourself in the love of God and and look for the coming of Jesus Christ. 
Be faithful in church. Every opportunity that you have to be, not just to read the Bible at home, but to be under the preaching of the word. To fellowship with believers. To find that encouragement and that that strength. And then as you equip yourself, then you go forth. Then you make disciples. Then you fight for one another. A brother or a sister who is straying, you go after them. And you show them mercy. You pull them back from the fire. You treat them with mercy and with fear, depending on where they are and how far down the road they have gone. I must confess that I've been challenged this week as I've studied this passage and the urgency here in Jude's words. Urgency not just to to go out and to make disciples, but urgency to focus on yourself, to grow. If I am not growing, then how can the church grow? Then how can we root out false teaching? Then how can we address and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ? In urgency for one another. That's almost the shocking nature of this chapter. We, we know that we should be growing. We know that we should be reading the word of God and praying. But, but the idea, the way that Jude approaches others, even with those who are on the road to apostasy, you show them mercy. You address them. You, you preach the word of God to them. May we have that urgency for one another. May we address one another so that we don't get to that point. Brothers and sisters, we need one another to be challenging one another, to be confronting one another, encouraging one another, building one another up for the glory of God. And so may the Lord give us a passion for truth, a hunger for righteousness, a love for one another, and an urgency in our discipleship and our evangelism for the glory of God alone. We are at war. And it is eternity that is at stake. And yet our God has conquered. And we rejoice in that. And the gospel is worthy of being guarded and proclaimed. And may we be a church that does that. That proclaims faithfully. And that guards carefully the word of God. We're going to close with the song, O Church Arise. A song that we sang right before our message this evening. O Church Arise and put your armor on. I think that's an appropriate song to close with this evening. A call to take this passage. And in light of what the word of God says, to take action. Put your armor on. God has given you all that you need in Christ Jesus for life and godliness. So put your armor on, O church arise. Let's stand and let's sing number 661, O church arise.